Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchfork Review. I'm the editor-in-chief, Pooja Patel. And I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director. So around this time of year, we always like to take a minute and look back at all of the music that has already come out this year and do a little reassessing. Has an album grown with a little bit of space and time? Was our immediate reaction the right one? And... What is really hitting for us? What do we think will stand the test of time for months, maybe years to come? Joining us to talk about all of this is senior editor Anna Gatza. Hi. Hello. Okay, so I figured we could start by just doing some kind of trend spotting here. Like, are there themes that we're seeing pick up this year? I think one thing that we've been talking about so much that we have almost stopped seeing it because it is just suffusing a lot of the alternative pop that we're into is this wavy, vibey, quasi-ambient, mellow feeling. And Mm -hmm. it's created some of these records that feel really like full album focused rather than singles focused. And I'm thinking of like Kalela's album this year, Mm -hmm. Gigi's album this year, both very sort of vibey they don't have really like high highs or low lows they're really like mellow oceanic just weaving with it like i feel like this is like inner monologues and like inner meditations that have very slowly wafted out of them instead of the last couple of years of like, let's hit the clubs. Right. There's clearly this other branch of people who are like, I'm really tired. Um, (laughs) I don't want to I don't want to think about what I'm wearing. I just want to wear flowy, long linens (laughs) and just sit on a couch and light an incense and just like think about how I can be healthy, how I can be like a good person and how I can be happy in the world. And I think honestly, that's makes sense because I think a lot of people have struggled being like, what am I doing in this world right now? And, Mm -hmm. you know, can I just be happy here with myself? You know, one thing that has come up this year is the amount of references to astrology. Pooja, can you sign me up for some kind of continuing education on astrology? Because I really don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, you like some becoming... sort of like, go to the annex and get some kind of like adult learning center. I don't, I'm, I'm approaching this from like a purely objective thing. Like I don't really subscribe to it as a like way of life or like a way of mm-hmm. organizing my life. But mm-hmm. I understand the idea that people are looking to something other than, like, religion to find an organizing principle about how to make sense of their own feelings, other people's feelings, and what 
better framework than astrology could fit over pop music, which is all about how other people feel about other people, right? And, like, that makes total sense. I just think that, like, we could just... (laughs) It's over-indexed quite a bit in pop music. Give me a pop song that shows me how I really use astrology, which is, like, you look up your compatibility with your crush, and then, like, the first Google result is, like, not giving you the right answer, and so you have to go (laughs) click on a different one. (laughs) Find one that tells you what you want to hear. All of this is to say that we've seen a lot of a lot of astrology pop up in music this year. Yeah. I mean, we saw it in the AG album. We saw it in the Caroline Polachek album. We saw it in um, Kelly Uchi's, in Colella, in so many other albums that are like very much about processing an identity and who who we are and right. why. As everybody leaves the church and gets therapy, I think this is just going to like become more the lingua franca of music. Let's see how 2026 turns out and where we are on the spiritual journey by then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there have been a couple of like huge releases. Yeah. We are counting SZA as part of the 2023 release cycle. Even yeah. though it was released in December of 2022. But after our lists were made. Which is when the year ends. <laughs> Which is when the year ends. Like the Grammys, we have an eligibility period. <laughs> we do have a window, and you got to fall in that window. So of the big releases this year, or the big pitchfork anticipated releases, including December 2022's SOS by SZA, we've got Lana Del Rey, we had Caroline Polachek, um... We had Lil Yachty, which I know we feel mixed on. Um, Of the big anticipated releases that we've spent a lot of time just like sitting around and thinking about and waiting for them to come, what still hits for you? And has it gotten better or lightened with time? SOS only got better, I feel. And Mm -hmm. I was a little overwhelmed at first by just how broad that record is it has some really you know so i was really talking about some some very real feelings that she's processing it but it takes time for you to process mm-hmm. it but the longer I go on, I just think it's really great. I want to do like a full album listen again soon. And I think she's such a genius for titling it SOS, which is you've probably seen like if your phone goes out of service, sometimes it says like SOS up mm-hmm. on the top. <laughs> but I also think of it as like if you are in emotional crisis, you're like, what do I listen to? Help. Like open your phone, open your music app, like type in SOS. SOS. Yeah. yeah. What about Lana? Oh, I love that album. I I just want to talk about one song on the Lana Del Rey album, and it's called Fingertips. And this is another <laughs> soliloquy song that does not have a verse, that does not have a chorus. And I don't even know if it has a discernible melody that I could ever sing back to you. But it is a four or five minute song where she sings so beautifully about people around her dying and wraps this into a song about how she only gives herself two seconds to feel these things before she has to move on with her entire life. And it is such like a rich text, the way she renders images in that song. Like she talks about how she was like performing for the Prince of Monaco and heard on the phone about her uncle dying and like couldn't really hear, like wasn't really sure what's going on. I had to sing for the prince in two hours, sat in the shower. Gave myself two seconds to cry It's a shame that we die 
But that to me is just like a testament to how wonderful of a songwriter she is and how I think she's just only getting more interesting as a songwriter and challenging herself and challenging the people who listen to her music with these kinds of things. I think I just discovered like a new category in processing pop. And I was thinking about this in Under Ocean Boulevard where Lana Del Rey kind of asked like, you know, will I have children? Like, will I be okay in the future? I was listening to the Feist album this morning, Multitudes, Mm, and there's mm -hmm. a quite similar song on there where she's kind of saying, will I be okay in the future? Will I have a family? Like, will I find that Mm -hmm. happiness? So will I let it wreck me? Or wreck my dream of family? Even denial is romantic. And that's romantic disadvantage. I think you could also broadly classify like SOS as kind of a will I be okay? Like, am I going to get through this record? You know, I think about a lot of the um, specifically women that we are talking about who are making these albums and the age that they're in. Like, this is not anyone's first, often second or third release. This is like them in a kind of moment in their lives where they're repositioning who they are. And also dealing with some of the same existential crises that women in your 30s might be dealing with. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking about how a lot of these albums are based in an understanding and acceptance of identity. So, like, Kalela's work was deeply inspired by Afrofuturism and radical black writing Lana's album talks about a really terrible experience that she is getting past. Mm -hmm. Caroline is like reconciling with the death of her dad. And they're all in a position to also be mature enough to like think about it in a different way, perhaps, than when they were younger. You know, even with the Boy Genius album, like all of these women coming to terms with their and like making these conceptual albums that are very, like, centered in inner monologues, you know? Yeah, I, I I hear you on that. And I think that's what we kind of we were talking about earlier with, like, processing, right? Like, like the, the kind of, like, therapy speak and spirituality coming into this and being okay with who you are. Because I think so much of what, I mean, from a lot of my background is from rock and indie rock and stuff like that. And, and a lot of my favorite music growing up was all about, like, self-loathing and self-hatred mm-hmm. and just, like, not loving who you are and, like, being depressed. <laughs> like, that, kind of, and I still enjoy that kind of thing. But I think what's happening in pop music is, like, leaping over that and trying to look for, like, what's, what's ahead and what's the future of that, you know? Not that pop music would ever sort of become, like, a early Bill Callahan record or something like right. that. But, <laughs> right. but I do think that there's something anti-self-flagellating about it, like, and pro, like, lifting yourself up. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through of Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through of Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I think this is a good segue into, you know, we're talking about a couple of obvious, huge albums, things that are staff favorites. And often... 
at this time of year is when we start being like, okay, well, we got to make a list at the end of this year. Not only do we have to make a list, we have to make many, many, many lists. And we start contextualizing albums that have come out against things that we might have not spent as much time with when they first came out. Are there releases that are personal faves that you will be kind of campaigning for when the time comes to get the staff on board with that you just love? Yeah. One of my favorite records of the year um, is by Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel. uh, And it just came out and it's called Maps. Um, This is Billy Woods' 13th album. And I mean, it's the highest rated rap album we've given since Kendrick Lamar's Damn came out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like among our highest rated records of the year. And I believe it earns that designation because I think Billy Woods is helping people rediscover like what was so wonderful about underground and indie rap in the first place. You know, you can go on pitchfork.com and read Dylan Green's wonderful definitive definitive yeah. feature about about his studio and about his record label and what he's been doing and how hard he's been just like grinding for 20 years. The thing about Billy Woods is that he really writes music for fans, fans of rap, fans of his own stuff. All of his music is very intertextual. Mm-hmm. There'll be a line that is just like, this is this really fun verse, but if you know Cameron, mm-hmm. you'll know that like these five things are just like this wordplay all about Cameron. Well, that's like kind of what I love about it. There's sometimes this thing that happens with like indie rap where they pretend that mainstream rap like doesn't exist. Uh-huh. But what I love about Billy Woods is that he sees the all of the mainstream rap and he just knows that he's on the other side of the museum glass, just kind of like looking at it, peering at it and like smudging it with mm-hmm. his fingertips. <laughs> he like has this amazing uh, line in one of his songs where he's at a hotel and he hears everybody coming into the hotel from the Playboy Cardi show mm-hmm. for the after party. Now they in the halls partying, checking their phones, bass shake the walls, I'm smoking alone in a cardigan, thinking of home. The cannabis single origin waffle cone went back down to the bar again, wig blown after party. What's so great about it is they can see where he is in the broader world of rap. And Maps is a wonderful album, like kind of a concept album about like being on tour and traveling the world and what it's like to do that as like an independent rapper and like a father and a guy who loves weed and food. So much drama on this album about the many places, the many prices you can pay and still get bad weed. Yeah. (laughs) Truly, yeah. Well, can I actually chime in with an artist that we all love that is doing a similar thing of being, like, very referential in a contemporary way and a kind of explosive way, which is Nourish by Time? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I first heard about Nourish by Time because of Yeji. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all just saw this artist featured on Yeji's album and said, who is that? Yeah, and he's on the Yeji record with a song called Happy, which he lent some production to. He is this singer and artist and producer from Baltimore, but who lives in London and is name is Marcus Brown, and he released this album called Erotic Probiotic 2, and it is just everything I love about finding a new artist. I mean, 
if you look him up, I think he has like a thousand followers. He is like pretty unknown outside of a small community of artists who really love working with him. But full of like 80s and 90s nostalgia, there's like shoegaze and synth pop and like iconic 90s R&B vocals on top of that. And one of the things that I love about him and his record is that he is like really funny Mm-hmm. And like very clever about these like one-liners. Um, there's a song on there called Fields, which has this freestyle beat, which is if you are at all familiar with freestyle, like a really propulsive kind of like party upbeat um roller rink music. Roller rink music. And it's also this the type of thing that the weekend sampled on Don FM. Like it is now starting to become slowly back in vogue, which I really love. And on the song Fields, he has this line in the hook. It's just like so poignant. And in the in the music video for it, he is smoking a bowl <laughs> as he sings that line. <laughs> and it's like, never heard a word back in plain English, but this weed might hit. <laughs> You know? I love it. <laughs> Got to find your own pathway to him. You I, know? I mean, and I also just love the way that he sings because there are times when he's whispering and it it's like, is this a synth? Is this like a really blown out muted synth or is he scatting right here? Like, I have no idea, but it's working. Yeah, he's a very unrefined vocalist, but there's so much passion in it. Yeah. I recommend looking up the music video for his song, Daddy. Daddy, which is yes, kind of a, it's so good. Which is great because it's sort of like a live video, mm-hmm. and so you can watch him perform a track how he would. There's like a little sort of like Moog arp synth, which is what he makes a lot of this music on. The dot connector, the spot corrector, the dot connector. I say, I love you, you say whatever. Ah, God, that's what I love about this so much. It's not crowded at all. Yeah. It just feels like it's him, one voice, and one instrument here, Mm -hmm. Um, even though that instrument is like an MPC, you know? Anna, what are your—do you have any personal faves? Let me shout out a personal fave that we didn't mention yet, although we could have, which is uh, Liv. Easier to Google if you think of it as L-I-V dot E, Mm -hmm. that Liv. Her album Girl in the Half Pearl, she's a singer and producer. She's from— Texas and I believe now based in Los Angeles and you might have even heard her because she's collaborated with rappers like Mike and Pink Sifu. She's on their most recent releases as a vocalist. This is another album that is about like processing and coming to terms with yourself and kind of coming into yourself as an adult and setting boundaries and not letting people treat you a certain way anymore. But it does not quite sound like some of the other records on that theme that we talked about Mm -hmm. a minute ago. It is more experimental and more like idiosyncratic and it is a record that has like those uh, dynamic highs and lows in a way that some of these others do not. Everyone else was samey, but yeah. not live.e. Not live. <laughs> it really it just doesn't it just doesn't quite sound like anything. And she has such a strong she has that strong production voice, but a strong songwriting voice as well. And I just love her single Wild Animals, which is sort of like a contemporary update on like the concept of Hound Dog as a song, but not mm-hmm. like the Doja Cat contemporary update mm-hmm. of Hound Dog. Mm-hmm. Like a like a brand new song. I got my nose up. Fingers to the sky. I can smell them coming from everywhere. I can hear them down the block. 
That's the video where there's like the two Dobermans, like where she's like kind of yes. dressed a little yes. bit. Yeah, like she's a sort of she's like yeah. she's like smoking a cigarette holder, and just like <laughs> in a in a like in a vast empty white space. <laughs> the Live album and the SZA album are, I think, of a pair because each song kind of brings a different vibe to the to the table mm-hmm. and you can kind of tell with the SZA album like she's that's like a museum showcase of everything that she'd been working on right and I think that's the same thing with Liv too wait can we talk about Avalon Emerson yeah, yeah of course. I was gonna say another person who is making it for herself Avalon Emerson who is uh until this year was better known as a DJ someone who like had a regular gig at Bergain before the pandemic um you know fairly big name in that world and I think people were perhaps waiting for her to put out a debut album and expected it that it would be a techno album. And Mm -hmm. she did put out a debut album, but it's not like that. It's a pop album that I reviewed for the site, and it's sort of a low-key, it's personal, but it's, like, not that deep. It's sort of an album that coasts on the surface of, like, deeper reflections, and it's kind of a self-taught pop album. And so you can hear her drawing on her skills as a producer, and there's a little bit of a dance beat, you know, a lot of synths in there, but it's also... A little bit sort of like my first pop record. We all know that Avalon Emerson could put a floor filler in there, could put a huge peak time seven minute thing that would overshadow the entire all of the record. And that would be the one thing that people would focus on. But what I love about this record is that she kind of does these like slow. There's like a long sort of shoegazy kind of like deer hunter track in there. And then there's the Dreamliner. You love that song, I love that and song. I love that song too. Which which almost sounds like a loose joints kind of like fun discoy track, like towards the end. Um, it's very sparkly. It's so sparkly. Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle, and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. So I would love to talk about a couple of albums that have come out so far this year that have been polarizing, you know, that Mm. have been either a point of debate within the staff or just kind of confusing. Where shall we start? So we did an entire podcast on Jesse Ware's album, mm-hmm. That Feels Good, uh, Julianne Shepard and I. And we, we edited the podcast being like, do you think young people can get into this record? <laughs> and we're like, yeah, totally. I mean, this is like, if they, have you ever been to like a club where they're playing like 80s boogie and disco? Like, it's, it's hot and sweaty. It's awesome. Like, uh-huh. it feels so good. The very next day, the trailer for And Just Like That season two drops, <laughs> which was soundtracked 
fully by Jesse Ware's Pearls. There were some people on the staff who thought it was a little bit too fussy, not enough, like, heavy bangers, too, like, the bangers were too light. Mm-hmm. And um, compared, to, compared to Jesse Ware's previous album that was more contemporary electronic music yeah. feeling. I mean, it sounded a, le- a little, like, sleazier yeah. in, in the sweaty, sexy way, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I got a little, like, I got a little shit-talking to do. Oh, go for sorry, it. Sorry, Get, sorry to 100 guests. Speak, speak sorry on to 100 it. guests. No. Speak on it. Okay, I like I like that album. I do like the album. Um, I think that live show could really use a live drummer, and I think that would really kick it up a notch. Oh, yeah. This is the long-awaited 10,000 gecks by 100 gecks. You'll recall that we pitchforked it a, a large story about this forthcoming album mm-hmm. last year, and then no album was forthcoming. But mm-hmm. now it's out. Well, and in, the, in our cover story, there was this kind of um, implication that Gex was trying to go big pop, like mm-hmm. big radio pop songs. And from my interview with Dylan Brady previously on a version of this podcast— it was super clear that this guy is like looking to now break big into like charts land where mm-hmm. that was the kind of implication of our story when we went to the studio with them. That said, this album is insane. Yeah, it's insane. I love it. It's pop rocks in soda. I think people were expecting it to be like a little bit corny, a little bit pop to pop. And when we heard it, the first time I heard it with a couple of editors, all of us could not stop laughing yeah. the entire way through the album because there's, like, lots of ska punk mm-hmm. revival in it. There's, like, a yeah, lot, a of, of, that, a lot yeah. of weenie, <laughs> weenie-sounding sounds. Yeah. The $1 million, which is... $1 million. <laughs> $1 million. But it was, like, kind of hyperactive in the way that it's produced. But it's, like, insanely good because you're never bored for even a second. And it's short. You ever have somebody come into your party who, like, is a little bit too much but obviously is just, like, a person of interest? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, my God, they're here. But they only stay for 30 minutes and you're like, thank God they're leaving. Uh, that's kind of, that's that's what this album is, you know. It's a it's a whirling dervish comes in, destroys everything, and leaves. And you're like, what was that? Dare I bring up Boy Genius? Who's that? Uh, I so <laughs> uh, I'm checking to see if there's like any red dots on me. <laughs> sure, I'm about to be sniped somewhere. I mean, <laughs> oh God, his cameras everywhere. Um, I I look, I I really. Appreciate that album. I find the music of it to sort of lapse into that kind of pop rock that is nothingness that I don't remember sort of the instrumentation or the sound of it. Like we've been talking about all these cool records that have this unique, memorable production, like, you know, the Nourish by Time, even 100 Gex. I mean, that is something that is inimitable. But I feel like the production on Boy Genius is imitable, very easy to imitate and replicate and kind of sounds like what a lot of other things sound like. Mm -hmm. But some of the songwriting on that record is quite good, Um, especially like some of Phoebe's stuff and um, some of uh, Julie's stuff. It's really great. 
And this is when I have to like, I do this a lot actually, check myself and kind of, am I crawling too far up my own ass? And I just, I'm just I just want art about art. I'm just constantly looking for like songwriting about songwriting. No, that's why you love <laughs> like, Lana Del Rey, baby. It's okay. You do, you do this, lo- you do this long enough, and your tastes start to like warp, and you start to look for this like meta, meta, meta level. And boy genius simply aren't doing that. They are yeah. simply writing like some straightforward pop and rock songs. But I do, I respect, wow. the, I respect the songwriting, and I it sounds good to listen to, but it is not speaking to me. And I, you know, it feels like going into that boutique where all the clothing is like just so beautiful and well made and you're like you know personally I just wouldn't wear it (laughs) (laughs) what about you Pooja where are you I'm biased right like I spent and probably an outsized amount of time with that album ahead of talking to them Um, and I am a sucker for like quiet meditations about where it all went wrong and or like, how did it come to be like this? I love that they wrote an album that is both, like, very, like, soft and internal and then confrontational mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm biased. You love it. I love it. That's great. Okay. Well, let me let me talk about not necessarily a controversial or polarizing album as much as an interesting thing that happened this year. Uh-huh. Which is... A great... The- a great- Figure a great figure is approaching from a distance. Yeah. He's wearing like a long dark cape, mm-hmm. and he's got a new haircut. Yes, and he, and he looks suspiciously, but is not Drake. That's Skrillex. <laughs> no, my friends, it's Skrillex. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I forgot about the press photo. It's true. He looked exactly like Drake. Uh, <laughs> he was like if AI created an uh, image of what Drake should look like. I mean, Skrillex was like ahead of the times on the side shave. And then like mm-hmm. by the time everybody adopted the side shave, he's like, I got to do something else. So, mm-hmm, you know. mm-hmm. Well, so Skrillex, it's great return, 2023. Yeah. You know, his last solo album was 2014's Recess. He has this kind of intense... Personal life from 2015 on disappears from the public in 2022, says he needs to take a break. Returns in 2023 with not one but two records? Don't get too close and quest for fire. But the bigger story around this is that one of these is kind of a like explosive dance record with a bunch of guests including Missy Elliott. Um, and this is, again, when Sonny Moore's, like, production prowess shines, when he can take one of the most famous rap songs of all time slash Missy Elliott's Work It and take the ratatata into an entirely different direction and make it his own song featuring Missy Elliott. This the kind of beat to go ratata, ratata, DJ Spillis, we beat the realest team on the billets. Watch out, I kill it, watch out, I spit it on the mic, fill it. Y'all can't do what I do, just admit it. And then the other one is this, like, rap-focused album. But then as this happens, this these albums land in this, like, insane renaissance of... Skrillex, wherein he and Fortet and Fred again become this like DJ trio and yeah. sell out Madison Square Garden. I was at that show. It was insane. <laughs> it was incredible. It was crazy. Wow. There's something really joyous about watching these three people who are so different <laughs> um, become this kind of like super trio of sorts. Uh, just I, I, 
we're going to talk, maybe like this is, this would be a good segue into sort of like, what are we looking forward to? Yeah. Um, the one thing I'm looking forward to is an album that may or may not be uh, somewhere in the offing that is William Tyler, who is a most famously sort of like a solo guitarist um, and Fortet, uh, who we've talked about, uh, Kieran Hebden uh, is his birth name. Uh, they just put out a song called Darkness, Darkness, which combines sort of William Tyler's sort of slow, crescendoing, distorted guitar and Fortet's like sampling prowess. Like he takes uh, the song Darkness, Darkness, uh, one version of it, and just sort of layers it over this kind of basically just like a dusty like a dusty soul beat William Tyler's guitar just adds all of this like amazing texture this live texture to the song mm-hmm. um, and so it was fascinating because it was just sort of like a sound that I had never really heard before and that always piques my interest you know so I'm really excited for the Joanna Sternberg album. They released this song called I've Got Me that will make you cry if you need something to prompt you to cry. Um, Joanna's a musician and a cartoonist and makes these kind of very tender, fraught folk songs. Um, I've Got Me is this song where they are talking about how self-awareness and self-doubt and loneliness and all of that is separated by like this invisible pinprick of a whole line. Um, And there's kind of this lovely strumming of a banjo behind this line um, as they're spiraling about how lonely they are. And this line goes, And all my faults and flaws and lies are no one's fault but mine. It's true. I love the idea of being so lonely and spiraling that way, but returning to the idea, well, I've always got me. So really tough song to listen to, actually, if you are a fragile little bird like I am. Um, But it makes me so excited to see what they're doing on the album when it comes out. I'm really looking forward to spending time with that. Yeah, it's very gentle. One of my favorite songs this year that just came out is called The Universe. It's from this forthcoming album by Roshan Murphy, produced with DJ Cozy. And this album just feels like taking acid. It's so good. Um, just say it. Just say it. Yeah. Just, just, just like say it. it. Pooja, like, Pooja is looking for like that intimate experience of like troubling your soul. And like I am looking for the record that makes me feel like I am just seeing colors that don't exist. <laughs> and things are happening that I could have never expected. But I kind of knew they were always coming. And that's how you feel listening to the universe when you get to the part of the song where the sort of voiceover that says like, you know, and he just started rowing and rowing. And you're like, wait, is Roshan Murphy about to interpolate the children's nursery rhyme, row, row, row your boat? And then it happens. (laughs) It it never gets old. Well, that's it for the best albums. Next week, we'll talk about the best and worst songs that have been released so far this year. Jeremy and Anna, thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you so much, Pooja, for having us. Pooja, Jeremy, thanks so much.
The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Catherine Penalosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening. Come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.